Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 158. Well, if you enjoyed the episode yesterday with Parker Cootie, you probably heard in the intro that I mentioned there might be a couple surprises here and there, and this is one of them. My guest on this episode, a special bonus, is Brandon Wu, no stranger to the back of the range. He just picked up the 2020 Corn Ferry Tour Championship. That gets him into the U.S. Open at Wingfoot. Now, as I said, Brandon is no stranger to the back of the range. His first appearance was when he and his Stanford teammate, Isaiah Salinda, were packed in a dorm room, and we did an episode, just the three of us, and then I was able to spend some time with him at the Walker Cup at Hoylake. We did a preview episode before that, so that's two appearances for Brandon, and now this is his third. Brandon is the leader in the clubhouse right now with most back-of-the-range golf podcast appearances. It was great to catch up with Brandon. Um... Again, just really interesting to hear his journey. You know, he, he leaves Stanford on such a high, national champion. He goes and plays in the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach and plays in the Open Championship. And then he really starts his journey with minimal status on the Corn Ferry Tour, forced to do the Monday qualifiers, just like a lot of other professionals trying to make it. And then, of course, COVID hits and all the challenges that that presents to an aspiring professional golfer. So we talked about his journey the last 12 to 18 months, and he actually mentioned what he's doing with his free time when he's not on the golf course. You want to make sure that you listen in for that part of the episode. So we'll get to the episode shortly. Uh, Again, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Uh, The Instagram handle is the Back of the Range Podcast. You know where you can find every single episode. That's on the website, thebackoftherange.com. Uh, lots of great episodes coming up, lots of merch on the way. I've said that for the last couple of weeks, but we're going to have some new hats. We're going to have some new face coverings. Towels are always for sale on the website. So if you have any questions, you have any comments, if you want to leave a review in Apple Podcasts, please do so. But for now, let's get to this episode. Brandon, welcome back. Thanks for joining me here at the back of the range. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me once again on the podcast. Well, you know, I, I feel that uh, feel well well deserved. I mean, the first episode was you and Isaiah in a dorm room at Stanford, and then fast forward <laughs> maybe a year and a half later, uh, you are the uh, winner of the Corn Ferry Tour Championship. You've navigated uh, quite a few hurdles along the way, but you're you're sitting pretty damn good. Um, does it feel like a year and a half ago that you were just graduating from Stanford? No, it definitely hasn't. I think the last year and a half has kind of gone by pretty quickly. And I mean, I think most people can say the same probably, but yeah, for me especially, it's just kind of been a giant whirlwind since Stanford. <laughs> I was just, I was just jotting down the things that you've, uh, that you've done, been, you know, been around, had to, you know, just your achievements so to speak so you you win a national championship in may of 2019 and then there's the race down to peru to win the gold with Stu hagestad at the pan am games and then you just red eye it back to pinehurst and 
get the medalist position. And then we got Walker Cup in September. I mean, there's just, it's an, it's absolutely crazy what you've been able to do in the last year and a half. And then, oh, by the way, let's go ahead and throw the coronavirus into everything. Yeah, it's been, I mean, super hectic and, you know, but I guess at the end of the day, it's still some pretty good memories. So I think I'm, I'm happy with how it's all transpired. Absolutely. So you and I spoke, I mean, we were at, I was at the Walker Cup at, at Hoylake with you. Um, obviously, um, you know, you're one of uh, a select few that have uh, been on this podcast more than once. I think you're now the leader in the clubhouse with three appearances and you, you've, you've broken out of a tie with Stuart Hagestad. And anytime you got, you got a one up on Stuart Hagestad, I mean, that's gotta be a crowning achievement in, in and of itself, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Stuart is just an absolute legend. So anytime I can uh, <laughs> nudge him a little bit, I, I'll take that chance. But uh, yeah, so hopefully I can maintain my lead in front of Big Stu. Stu, uh, Stu actually reached out um, this afternoon, knowing that I was going to have you on, and I said, "Do you have anything you need to ask Brandon?" And uh, he cryptically wanted to know about this new toy that you have. And then he says, "All right," when he gets confused and panics about the new toy. Um, what are the, what is Norma tech? What is that doing for your game? So, yeah, when we went down to Peru, uh, for the Pan American games, um, obviously team USA had a very, like a full, you know, staff of athletic trainers, sure. and all that kind of good stuff. So in between rounds, me, Stu, and, uh, one of my best friends, Matt Rabchek were, you know, just hanging out and we'd go down to kind of the trainer's room and hit the Norma tech, which is these like, um, it, it's like a recovery uh, tool, um, but basically you kind of like slip your legs into these like pants and the pants like fill with air. Yeah. And the idea is to kind of, uh, you know, alleviate the lactic acid from your legs. So it's a really nice, like relaxing, like easy thing to do. But yeah, I put, distinctly remember we just kind of be sitting there for an hour or so just kind of, you know, talking to people that came through the athletic trainers. Um, and yeah, just <laughs> sitting there, Norma Tekken. So, uh, yeah, that's probably what he's referring to. I just, um, I just got my own, uh, cause you know, I felt like it's a good thing to have when you're on the road for, you know, six straight weeks and sure. stuff like that. It's, it's a good way to recover. So there are all these like serious athletes at the Pan Am games, you know, people like running track or like, you know, athletes, not golfers, of course, but serious athletes trying to get these things. And you and you and Hagestad are just sitting there just shooting the shit just with, with these things on. Perfect. So, um, all right. So let's backtrack just a little bit. You, you have this really great cap to your amateur season uh, you, you stay in school, you graduate, you you hold off from turning professional uh, to to make yourself eligible for Walker Cup, which obviously you do. You go to Hoy Lake, this this really great achievement, and then catch me up and catch listeners up what the start of your professional career looked like and where you sat as far as exemptions, status. I mean, you're. I think you were probably on the wagger. You were the fourth or third ranked amateur in the world. And while a lot of people are watching the Golf Channel now and saying, "Hey, you know, Brandon Wu, Stanford, he's, you know, he just won the Tour Championship, he's going to the U.S. Open. Wow, this guy's on his way." Um, coming out of your amateur career, what, where were you? What did it look like as far as? And I, I, obviously, this is pre-COVID. So, where were you? Uh, you know, heading into your professional career? Yeah. So I basically after Walker Cup, I think I had a, a month or two before Q School. Um, 
So I was in the second stage already, which is, you know, a huge bump because, you know, it's hard making it through either pre-qual and then first stage. Um, but yeah, I guess it was tough to start out, not going to lie. Um, it was tough to get exemptions. You know, I, I felt like I had a, uh, a good enough resume to kind of get some, some starts going, but you know, it's, it's, they're tough to come by. There's so many good players out there. So yeah. just had to be patient. And uh, I guess my first professional tournament was actually, I played the downhill links over in Scotland and that was an absolute blast. Such a fun week. Um, I ended up getting paired with Jim Crane as my partner, uh, who's the owner of the Houston Astros. Yeah. So he was able to kind of help me get into the Houston open, um, you know, a few weeks later where I made my first professional, uh, PGA start, um, and played pretty well there. I think I was tied sixth going in the last day and ended up finishing 17th there. Um, so yeah, that was like a good start to my professional career. Um, and then from there, then on, went on to Q school, made it to second stage, but unfortunately did not make it to the final stage. So, you know, kind of stuck with conditional status for the year. And, uh, that was kind of the beginning of the new year for me. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned Jim Crane. Um, and it just, it kind of hit me just as something interesting to talk about. You know, you just can't, you, you can't just be about what you do on the golf course. You have to be able to for lack of a better term, you have to be able to schmooze a little bit. You have to be personable. You have to be able to talk to people where they can potentially help you. And we can look at the the example you just gave with, with Mr. Crane and getting into the Houston open. But do you remember when you first realized how valuable it is to not just be great on the golf course, but also be someone that people that are more established, people that are in position to help you can facilitate, you know, growth and gains in your professional career. Yeah, for sure. I think um, a big thing that I learned quickly was kind of the the Stanford family, for sure. I felt like, I remember thinking to myself, I was like, I've only spent like less than a year out of school and I feel like I've already, you know, gotten to like meet so many cool people because of Stanford, um, you know, and get so many different unique opportunities because of it. So, um, yeah, that was cool to see. And yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of why I enjoy playing golf as well as it kind of brings all these different um, people together. And it, it is such an interesting community. So uh, it's like a nice perk of, you know, I get to play golf and get to kind of participate and, um, you know, learn from these people who are successful in other parts of their lives. Who is someone that you have had the chance to to either play golf with or even have lunch with or meet through that you, you never would have met if it wasn't for golf or if it wasn't for Stanford. I mean, where you have to kind of sit back and think to yourself, man, I mean, I'm just, I'm not just a golfer. I I'm, I'm so much more and look who I get to talk to. Look who's in, you know, look who shot me a text that says, Hey, you know, you know, I mean, not, you know, not asking who's the most famous person in your phone, but also actually someone that you actually have built a relationship with. Yeah, for sure. I think the the name that comes to mind just because of the Stanford connection and the golf connection is de- definitely uh, Secretary Connelly Rice. Um, she's someone that was super cool, and I ended up um, being her partner for the AT and T Pro Am uh, this past February. <laughs> no, <is> no pressure. <laughs> also... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, so that that was fun. Um, I remember. Yeah, we got paired together, and I was like super excited. And then you know, come Wednesday night. Um, kind of was hanging out with her and uh, some of the people around her and, you know, they're kind of coming up to me and they're like, okay, like she's really nervous. Like we really want to do well this year. And suddenly I got nervous too. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) 
I didn't want to let her down. I wanted to play well and give her team a chance. Uh, but yeah, that was that was such a cool week uh, to be able to spend some time with her and uh, you know just kind of honestly like seeing the the admiration that all the people have for her is really cool and to kind of you know listen to her stories and actually get to play golf with her for a few days is also pretty cool. I mean, being in her circle, who knows who you're going to meet down the road with that? I mean, I I can't imagine <laughs> what kind of pro am partners you're going to have. At uh, on, the, on the, the whether it's Corn Ferry PGA Tour, obviously is, is the ultimate goal. But um, you're going to have some really interesting pro am partners. Um, I, I would just like to be a fly on the wall when you get a phone call from former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice saying, "Brandon, uh, I need to go play golf with this gentleman." And uh, who who knows what that guy does? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you you start the professional career. You, you have conditional status. You get a few few spots here and there. And then, you know, you just said you played, played the, um, uh, the AT&T and then COVID hits. And uh, <laughs> how do you, and I know you're part of the Octagon family. That's the agency that you're with. And, and if you're able to answer this, great. If not, totally understand. But how do you and your agency maybe reevaluate what 2020 is going to look like and how you can best approach it? Yeah, I guess it was, you know, we had all had to take a step back and, and just, be more patient, honestly. That's like the biggest thing. Um, for me, it was kind of, so I guess the Corn Ferry Tour season had been going on um, and, you know, they were about to come back to the U.S. and, you know, people were going to start taking a couple weeks off. So I would have actually might have gotten a chance to play a few tournaments because of that. But then because COVID hits, everyone's on pause for a few months and suddenly when we get back into it, everyone's going to want to play again. So then I'm waiting, you know, another eight weeks before I can even get a start anywhere um so yeah that was that was definitely frustrating and, and a tough time you know just because there's nothing to play and i just gotta continue waiting um to try to monday qualify but that's that's a pretty difficult path to to go down so yeah i tried my hand at that and unfortunately didn't monday qualify at any but uh yeah finally i think halfway through the summer i got a call for screenfield missouri as my first corn ferry start yeah, on onwards from there. Yeah, it's such, well, Monday qualifying is just such a. I mean, there seems to be no rhyme or reason. There's a handful of guys that seem to be very successful at it, um, but it's such a such an anomaly compared to what an actual professional golf tournament is. It's seventy two holes. There's a cut, but but Monday qualifying is a boat race. You go from a national championship at Stanford to starting your professional career with with very little status and trying to Monday qualify. Um, I know what your practice facility is like at Stanford. I know uh, being at basically the top of of collegiate sports, and <laughs> then you go to to basically being uh, someone with with very little status as a professional. What was maybe one of the first tournaments that really kind of hit you in the face and you realized, wow, I am not in the cocoon at Palo Alto anymore? Um, I guess that's, that's an interesting question. I mean, I felt like I was well-equipped to turn professional just taking that summer and getting to play in the U.S. Open, getting to play in the Open Championship. So I like started to kind of build that, um, um, I guess, like resume and start to get comfortable playing sure. at, a, at a high level with the pros. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the Monday qualifiers are, are 
they they hit you pretty hard mentally as well. You know, they can because you know you go out and you shoot maybe three four under and you think it's not that bad, and you know you're you're suddenly getting lapsed by people <laughs> that you you know never seen before. Right. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's kind of the definite the biggest difference. Is like you know through Emory golf, like especially going to like a program like Stanford, and you, you get to know so many different people and like all the people that you play with. So. When you go to like the Western Am or the US Am, you, you know everyone and everyone's your friend, but suddenly you get on this next stage and you don't really know anyone. And it's it's just like, wow, like I, I can't beat anyone all of a sudden. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of crazy. Your game, from what if anyone's watched you play and anyone knows kind of your style, you hit a lot of greens. I mean, just, I, gosh, I think you're even just looking back at this, you know, Corn Ferry Tour Championship. Um, I think you hit 80% of the greens for the entire tournament. And I think that's pretty close to what your season long average is. You hit a ton of greens. You give yourself a lot of chances. Your scoring average is a little bit under 69. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't picture you as the guy that is, is dropping 62s and goes out and just boat races the field in a Monday qualifier. So yeah, I would guess that would be kind of a, a shock to the system having to go play those. Yeah, I guess that that was something I remember talking to some of my friends here out in Dallas at Treaty Forest. Actually, they, you know, I was like telling them like, yeah, I don't know if I can, uh, you know, I just don't know if I'm that person that like goes low. Like I see myself more as this like consistent person that can, you know, shoot a couple under every day right. in the course of four days, like play pretty well. So that's why I felt like I was struggling a little on the Mondays. But um, you know, credit to them, they they believed in me and they're like, you can like go low and. Feel like I've started to show that a little bit, even in these four-day tournaments where I'll have a you know a round or two where I, I do play really well, and make a bunch of birdies. Yeah. So you mentioned Dallas, and you know you've obviously spent your college career in California, grew up in New York. How did Dallas become the spot that uh, that you picked to be your home base? Uh, I'm, I'm a little. Is it? Be, I mean, I thought you'd pick South Florida. That way, you and I can just hang a lot and play a lot of golf. <laughs> So I'm a li- I'm I'm a little crushed, and uh, there, there's other people that'd be disappointed too. But that's okay. You got to do what's best for you. So how did Dallas? How did Dallas come into the mix? Uh, I think just looking at the places with you know good climate uh, that are you know good spots for a lot of younger pros to kind of congregate in. I mean, obviously South Florida is probably the most popular, um, but I I was really attracted to Dallas because I can get to live in a city. Um, you know, with skyscrapers and whatnot. And, sure. you know, I get to live in like a, a tall, like a high rise apartment building and be 10 minutes from the golf course and 10 minutes from the airport. And just, I think like uh, just having that life outside of golf was really important for me because, you know, you're traveling all these weeks and playing on the road. Like when I come home, I, I'd like to play a little bit of golf, but, you know, I'd like also to hang out with friends and kind of, you know, do, do the other stuff as well. So that was kind of what attracted me to Dallas the most. Um, and then the huge perk on top of that is it's super easy to travel from. You're right in the middle of the country. Sure. Being yeah. from New York and going to school in California, it just feels a hundred times easier now. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not stuck on a coast. And I mean, you can actually probably drive to a handful of these places. And yeah, yeah. For sure. I don't know if you're going Victor Hovland esque with you're doing like, like <laughs> the, the motorhome road trip the way he's doing it. But, uh, but yeah, at least you can move around. So you're you're at Trinity Forest, but you know one of the really uh, in a in a climate of really un, a lot of uncertainty and and not having a lot of competitive golf to play in, which is 
I'm guessing that is just probably the worst thing for someone trying to jumpstart a career. You, it's not just hitting balls. You got to go play competitively, and it's not just playing money games. You need things that actually matter. How happy were you to be able to get into that into the the second uh, Merido Samaritan tournament? Oh yeah, that was so much fun. Um, and just like to have something to practice for, you know, because when COVID hit, I just hung up my clubs and didn't really practice for about a month, almost two months, maybe uh, just cause I, I didn't know when things would kind of come back again. And I felt like there was no reason to uh, just, you know, like stay ready and I didn't even know right. what was going to come. So that was good. Cause you know, something on the schedule. Okay. Like two weeks prior to that, I can you know, start practicing again and get ready for a tournament. And you know, what a, what an incredible field they had that week too. I think pretty much like 15 PGA pros, maybe that, that tournament. So it's pretty yeah. solid. Yeah. And then you got the, you got the college kids hanging around too. And then there's some juniors in there. Uh, did you see Tommy Morris in there? Yeah. I think he's, he's a hard guy to miss to be honest. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm, I'm, I, he, he listens to the podcast and he, he's reached out and we, we've talked a little bit on Instagram and I haven't talked to him yet because, uh, you know, he's a junior and I, I kind of want to at least let someone turn 18 a little bit before I start bothering him with a podcast episode, but he's, he is six foot eight and, and all of six foot eight, isn't he? Yeah. You know, there's actually a great picture for people on Instagram. They can go to John Pack's Instagram, Tommy okay. Caddy for him at Pinehurst last year for the USM. <laughs> and, uh, he makes John look like a little kid for sure. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about how you have filled your free time because you're you get this degree at Stanford in product design. I know academics are very important to you. They're important to Isaiah. I know when we spoke, you guys were like, "Yeah, we're going to stay at Stanford and get our degrees. Why would you go to Stanford and not get degrees?" So, um, you balance your academics, which are demanding. You balance your collegiate sports, which is obviously uh, demanding. And now you're a professional, and there's no schoolwork to do. I'm guessing that's a quite a bit of a challenge for you. Like you, you like to stay busy and, and, and mental, mentally uh, stimulated. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think, um, actually I've been working on this project, uh, throughout this whole kind of like quarantine. So, uh, one of my Stanford classmates approached a group of us, uh, maybe back in like March, um, but he was just looking for some help. He had a couple of pro bono projects he was working on for like social good. Um, but basically we started, um, working on trying to design, uh, face masks for people. Okay. So, all right. We wanted to, we were approached by someone who wanted, um, clear face masks. So we kind of took up that project, um, just to, just to try and help out, um, and create, um, clear face masks so people could actually, you know, see each other's expressions and emotions and, you know, kind of have a little bit of a return to normalcy, uh, even while we were wearing masks in public. So. Yeah, we've spent uh, a few months on that project. We just started selling our masks. Um, we're doing it all nonprofit, and uh, there's a group of six of us, all from Stanford, all from the engineering program, um, just kind of working through this as a kind of a side project and seeing if we can try and help out during this pandemic. That's awesome. What is the okay? So, can we find these things online? Are they available? How, talk to me a little bit more about this, where people can find this. Yeah, for sure. So we have an Instagram page up. Um, it's called our thing is called the Project Smile. So you can find us on Instagram, the Project Smile team. Um, so we've started selling our masks on Etsy, which is kind of like a, a homemade goods website. Okay. Um, so right now, like we're literally, you know, 
people we're sitting at home and with our sewing machines and <laughs> sewing these masks together and, and selling them. Yeah. Yeah. So we've actually gotten really good traction. Um, we've already sold um, to over 30 people across the country. Um, and we haven't, you know, just started for a couple of weeks. We keep selling out. We could barely uh, keep making them in time and keeping them in stock. So we're hoping to, you know, start getting them manufactured and just to be able to output a couple more. Um, and yeah, just try to help people. I think, uh, people are interested in this because we are probably going to be wearing masks for a little while longer and, you know, people like to see smiles. This is, uh, I'm looking at the website right now. I will put a link to this in the show notes of the episode and I'll, I'll, I'll obviously follow and, and do whatever I can to put this out here. I just, it's such a great story because I'm just thinking to myself, when people view what a aspiring professional is doing, they assume, or a lot of people would assume, I'm guessing, that all your life is about is how do I get better? I got to practice. I got to go putt. I got to play. I got to do this. Everything is golf, golf, golf. And how much does this help you maybe keep things in perspective where you have a, I'm just thinking, I would love to get a picture of you at a sewing machine. And work. But I mean, I'm thinking it's it's a benefit to the people, obviously. It's a benefit for, for, needy, for people that need masks and really want the product. But how much is this helping you maybe keep things in perspective as what, with what you're trying to do professionally? Yeah, I mean, it's like at the end of the day, like I'm so lucky to be just playing golf for a living, you know? Right. It's like it almost sounds ridiculous. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's good because it's, it's definitely been um, kind of a learning experience balancing the, you know, like how much are you supposed to practice every day? Like, am I supposed to be out there like 15 hours a day? Like, I, I don't know, like putting and doing whatever, but um, I think it's all about finding kind of your own recipe. And for me, that's not necessarily practicing for 15 hours a day or whatnot. Like right. I just, I know where my game needs to be. Um, I try to be pretty efficient when I do practice. Um, and then, yeah, you have all this other time. Like what, what are you going to do with it? I think, uh, kind of trying to help people and do some social good, especially at a time like this, is is uh, it's, it's awesome for me, and I really enjoy it. Well, and also, you know the way social media works. You've, you're you online. You know what the drill is. If, if you post anything that looks like you're maybe, I don't know, doing something that's not related to getting your game in order or practicing, like, God forbid, you go to the beach with your friends or, or obviously forget about COVID, but... Um, if it, if you're doing something that isn't related to golf and God forbid you miss a cut, you know how social media is. Well, he's spending too much time with his friends. And he, I mean, and that's just the world we live in. So yeah, you, but you, you have to find a balance or you're going to go crazy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting because then like when you do miss a cut, suddenly you're questioning yourself. You're like, Oh wow. Like maybe I shouldn't have gone to the beach last week. Right. <laughs> right. Should have been practicing, but it's, I, I think you got to have a, bigger picture view on things and be confident in what you're doing is the right way to do it. Was there anything that really surprised you with the corn Ferry tour, whether it be course setup skill of the players? I mean, is it pretty much what you expected? I mean, I know you've played a handful of the PGA tour events. You played in a couple of majors, but when you got out there, did you, did you feel that it had a, had a little bit of a, a okay, I got, I got to shoot four sixty fives here. I need to really kind of chase down birdies or, I mean, talk to me a little bit about, I guess, your thoughts on what the corn Ferry tour experiences for you. I guess 
probably to start off with, like every day someone is going to shoot a really low number that you're like, wow. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, and be surprised. And that's, that's every day, like every round of every tournament that's going to happen. And, you know, so it's just like, you can never kind of let your foot off the gas and the fields are so deep, you know, it's like, like there's going to be 10 people uh, kind of like right behind you, a shot behind you. And if you make a bogey, you're dropping 10, 15 spots. So that's, you know, it's, it's, it is where it is. Like it's super competitive. Um, it's, it's intense out there. Like this is people's livelihood and, you know, they want to do well. So, um, but yeah, like for me, I just, luckily I'm able to kind of just take it pretty easy. And I think that helps me play better too. It's just, to, you know, kind of keep it even keel out there and just try to enjoy it and enjoy the ride. One of the things that I think uh, I think you kind of lucked out on, at least in my opinion, is that you knew that when your Stanford career was over, you were making that jump to the professional ranks. You did not have to entertain the thought of the seniors basically this past year that lost their senior season. They lost the chance to go for a national championship, and then they need to figure out if they're going to stay or if they're going to go. And now there's conferences that are not having fall uh, fall sports or some variation of fall sports. I'm sure you've had conversations with several of your friends that are still in college. I know Henry Shimp at Stanford is is still is still there. I know you're obviously John Pock and and many of the you know guys like Cole Hammer. Are you? How do you feel about the fact that you didn't have to deal with all that? I definitely feel quite fortunate, um, just because. Well, I guess. Maybe I take that back. I think it's kind of a unique opportunity for, um, like, I guess I can only speak to kind of my Stanford classmates, but, you know, they, I guess it, it's too bad that they don't have a, like a fall season and they can't play golf competitively. But on the other hand, um, like, I feel like I could have used an extra year in school. Um, you know, they, they have a great co-term program at Stanford where you just take an extra year and you can get a master's degree. Um, so I think that's what Henry Schimpf is planning on doing. So, it definitely opens up some unique opportunities that you wouldn't have had um, beforehand, but I totally get the sentiment of guys like not having, you know, anything to play in and kind of having to stick around and wait to turn pro. But um, then again, for, you know, guys like John Augenstein and they can go play the Walker cup again, <laughs> which is also pretty exciting. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm like, I, I know you're glad right now. I mean, you've, you've obviously had this great success recently winning the corn Ferry tour championship. It's putting you in, I mean, obviously no one's graduating from Corn Ferry right to the PGA Tour uh, this year, but you're in a great spot. But uh, I'm sure you're going to have your eyes set on uh, what's going to happen at Seminole uh, in next May. Yeah, for sure. I mean, after having gone through that experience, it's so incredible um, in terms of it's definitely the pinnacle of golf, I think, and amateur golf. Um, but yeah, it's just so cool. There's nothing quite like it, you know, playing like a team experience team event like that you're uh i mean you're part of that walker cup society now for the rest of your life and you're you're you get all those notices and things i mean i'm sure it's gonna be with a you'll have to look at what your schedule looks like but i i, I could easily see you tagging along and hanging out at a walker cup in the future yeah i mean especially like this upcoming year i bet a couple of my teammates from our previous walker cup team are going to be on this team too and yeah obviously uh nathaniel crosby will be the captain as well and that's such a cool place like Seminole, you know, you might have to go and check that out. <laughs> you might be, uh, might be like a third assistant captain job. See if you can swing one of those <laughs> deals. I actually am in yeah. line for the uh, ninth alternate captain position because when I was at Bandon Dunes, 
I was running around there taking uh, photos and videos for uh, for for the USAM and and I had a golf cart and I can't tell you how many times I was driving up 18 and I run into Captain Crosby and he waves me down and he's like yeah yeah I I I you got to you got to drive me out the fairway the legs I'm leaking oil you got I'm leaking oil so uh, I I spent a lot of time with him so I think I'm in line way 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 down the line but I think I'm somewhere there. Well, I, again, thrilled for you that, that you picked up that win at the Tour Championship. It gets you into the U.S. Open at Wingfoot. You literally grew up, I guess, five to ten minutes away from the place. You're going to stay at home with your parents, which is just such a great story. Do you remember when your parents first found out that you got into the U.S. Open? Did they, did they find out from you, or did they find out when they were watching the broadcast on Golf Channel? I think they were watching the broadcast. I mean, I, I guess I, I probably didn't really tell them or like talk about it that much just cause I, you know, it was almost like a, like I didn't want to jinx. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they, yeah, they're just watching the coverage and they probably knew it was, it was, uh, close to happening. So just so cool to actually have gotten it done and to be headed there in a couple of weeks. So you're going to spend some time at home, and then after that, obviously, there's a few more tournaments to get started on, and then you're going to have some some um, some things to look forward to on the PGA Tour with some uh, with some starts there mixed in with the Corn Ferry Tour. Uh, what do you know about Wingfoot? I know you've played it. Um, you know, is this is this obviously it's a dream to play in any U.S. Open, no matter where it is. But at Wingfoot, uh, what's what's your experience so far at Wingfoot in in past uh, past times you've played there? I've actually never played the championship course. I have played the other one okay. um, a couple times, but the the whole property is amazing. Um, but it's it's going to be tough. I mean, from all accounts I've heard, I mean, from the historical data, it's it's going to be really tough. So I'm really looking forward to the challenge, though. I think it'll be really fun. I mean, it's it's such a it's a good layout. Uh, it's kind of got that New York style course. You know, it's not like super quirky it's kind of on a big piece of land you know just long rough and lush fairways so i i think it should be really fun well for someone that strikes the ball like you do i think you'll uh you'll have great success and you'll enjoy it i have one i have one final question that i have never asked to a guest before and i'm going to try it out on you and see if this is even going to work and i may just completely edit this out but uh we'll see if you can answer this question for you I'm going to give you an uphill putt. One chance. If you make it, you're uh-huh. on the PGA Tour, and you get to set your schedule. If you miss it, you're on the Corn Ferry Tour, and you can't play in a PGA Tour event for an entire year. You have one chance at this putt. What's the longest putt you'd agree to for this? Huh. That's an interesting question. <laughs> well? Um, I would say... I, I think 20 feet is kind of the wow the sort of threshold. Okay, I was I, mean, I was not expecting that. That's 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 a lot of confidence right there. <laughs> well, I guess I guess if it's framed more like this is like a, a you know like a, a really nice chance to get there versus if you miss this you're going back to the Corn Ferry Tour. I guess that changes the question. That's true. Um, so I guess if it was like the, okay, here's your one shot, like you make this, you're on the tour, I, I would say like within 20 feet. But if it's like a, okay, you have to make this or else you're going back, like maybe 
maybe eight to ten feet okay. <laughs> as far back as I'd go. Okay, it's a complicated question. I'm I'm glad someone with uh, I'm glad you gave it the mu- as much thought as I was hoping you would. So that's that's perfect. <laughs> um, listen, man, great catching up, and uh, I wish you all the success at the U.S. Open, and uh, congrats again on that Tour Championship for someone that you know navigated the the complicated landscape of turning pro during this era to end up where you're at right now i I can't imagine anything better so uh enjoy the u.s open and uh we'll catch up again soon thanks for returning to the back of the range yeah no thank you so much i love being on the podcast uh thanks again for having me and there you have it special thanks to brandon Wu for joining me on this episode of the back of the range make sure you're following him at the u.s open at wingfoot Don't forget, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.